Opinions expressed on ACV Media are those of the content creators and should not be assumed to reflect product endorsements or the views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Hello and welcome to the audio description project session of the American Council of the Blind taking place on June 23rd, 2023. And I will first... Um, Acknowledge and recognize our Zoom host, Monica, to give the starting CEU code. The starting CEU code is 21183. Again, the starting CEU code is 21183. Thank you. Thank you, Monica, and we'll hear from you a little bit later when we get to our Q&A section um, to facilitate that for us. So again, I'm Kim Charlson, and I serve as the co-chair of the American Council of the Blind Audio Description Project. And for today's presentation on um, certification or CODIS, Certified Audio Description Specialist, that we'll be talking about where that process is, how it's evolving and, and being evolved, and what work we have done up to this point and where the future is going to take us. I have um, a three-people panel here with me to talk about various aspects of audio description certification. And I'm just going to do a general overview, and then as each one of them um, comes on board, they can elaborate a little bit more on their credentials because I'm not going to take a lot of time to do that. They have extensive bios, but we have with us today, Kathy Zider, who is the CEO of ACVREP, the Academy of Certificate, the Academy for Certification of Vision Rehabilitation Education Professionals. So certifying body for um, stand for uh, positions, career professionals in the field of blindness and low vision. And she can elaborate more on that. We're happy to have her. Um, I have also um, Joel Snyder, who's the founder and senior consultant of the Audio Description Project for the American Council of the Blind, um, longstanding um, expert in the field of audio description, author of the Verbal Made Visual. I think I got the title right. Verbal Visual Made Verbal. The ver Beautiful. Visual Made Verbal. There we go. Sorry. All the V words. That's right. <laughs> that would be an interesting task to do it the other way around. Yeah, that's true. Um, <laughs> and also um, Martin Wild, who's a freelance audio describer, and he also serves as co-chair of, or vice chair, I should say, vice chair of the um, ACVREP Certifications Subject Matter Expert Committee. So I rely heavily on Martin and his expertise because I serve as the chair of the ACVREP Subject Matter Expert Certification Committee for CODIS, which is Certified Audio Description Specialist. That's the name of the certification that the SME for Subject Matter Expert Committee has been working on for the past three and a half years, I believe it's been. It's been quite a process. We're going to take you a little bit through the process, where 
how we got to where we are and what the next steps moving into the future will be. So to get started, I thought we would turn to Kathy to give a little background on um, ACVREP and the certification process from the perspective of ACVREP. And that's what we're working under to develop the audio description certification. Thank you, Kathy. Uh, thank you, Kim. <clears throat> it is a pleasure to be uh, on the panel and have this opportunity. Uh, ACVREP was established 23 years ago. It's hard to believe it's been 23 years. Um, as an independent certification body, which meets the national and global uh, standards for a certification organization to be independent from any um, a membership or other organization with its own separate board. We collaborate with other organizations and um, areas of interest in serving individuals with blindness or low vision and we're uh, very pleased and we're very pleased and excited when ACB's uh, audio description um, project approached ACBIP to begin discussing the possibility of developing a certification. When Kim mentioned that we have been at this for a number of years now, one of the exciting opportunities, but also the challenges in developing the certification is to arriving at a common and field-wide understanding um, of both uh, terms and conditions and standards for audio description. So where a certification has not previously existed uh, in a field that has been virtually unregulated, it takes a great deal of time. And so it's important that we're all grateful to the subject matter experts serving on that committee. They've been meeting virtually every week uh, for the past several years. Uh, we've had some starts and stops in what the approach would be looking at various roles that someone can have in audio description. Uh, was it important to have a single certification? Uh, did it make more sense to have equal but separate certifications for different tasks and work performed in the field? And so through the process at the urging of the subject matter expert committee, um, there were listening sessions that were held uh, in with the consumers, with the collaboration at ACB, in order to um, get different points of view as to whether or not a single or multiple certifications were needed in the field. One of the very important things that the SME is developing is what I would call common definitions. In many of the discussions that were held or the listening sessions, it, it became apparent that there were different perspectives or different understandings of exactly what the term describer meant. Um, so while some may have been concerned at the length of time that it has taken to move this forward, to develop a new certification and establishing the standards where none exist 
it is very important to take whatever time is needed um, to uh, basically uh, develop the common standards that will be broadly accepted uh, in the field. So the certification um, subject matter expert committee is getting very close to having the scope of practice, body of knowledge, applied competencies, and eligibility criteria fully developed. At that point, they will recommend these draft criteria uh, to the board of directors of ACBRP and asked to have them approved for a public posting. They will be posted for 60 days and all consumer and other organizations in the blindness field will be notified that they are posted for public comment. There's a, a specific email address um, that comments will be submitted to. The only thing we ask, and it doesn't always happen, is they be honest, but also polite. Uh, sometimes they're not always polite. Uh, people disagree with one element or another, but ACVRP's board of directors has direct access to all of those comments. What I do to protect personal relationships is to just take the names off the comments, but deliver all of the detailed comments to the subject matter expert committee for review. They then will, will um, review all of the comments and determine what modifications may or may not be needed based on those comments to the criteria before they would modify and um, uh, request that the board of directors of ACDRP approve the financial, uh, the final criteria. One of the benefits that this subject matter expert committee has had, and we're very grateful to those individuals um, who served on the advisory board uh, for this certification to provide what I call private public comments. There were many people that are considered knowledgeable in the field, but they did not have the time to serve on the subject matter expert committee, or they were very interested in the field, but didn't necessarily have all of the practice requirements to serve on the subject matter expert committee. So there is a thorough process of, of input and vetting before the final certification criteria is developed. Once that's developed, then the hard part really comes into play where the subject matter expert committee needs to develop the certification exam. And that again can take another one to two years, uh, depending on all of the elements uh, that need to be considered and to ensure that the appropriate level of accessibility to all has been included in that process. Kim, I'll turn it back to you. All right. Thank you, Kathy, for that overview. And I want to um, recognize Joel, who is going to take us you know, back a little bit in time to, to give a, a brief history of why are we doing a certification for audio description and, and where this thought first came from, how it's evolved and you know, bring us back up to the current day. Right. So stepping into the Wayback Machine is Joel yeah. Snyder. 
<laughs> That's right. Which just means I'm really old. Uh, I, anyway, uh, quickly, I wanted to thank Kathy for mentioning the definitions, uh, setting up uh, common definitions for all the different uh, terms that, that come in play in studying audio description, especially the phrase audio describer. Uh, itself. Um, you would think, well, that's self-evident. But, you know, over the years, it becomes clear that people talk about, oh, I listened to the description for such and such movie last night. And the audio describer was just, what a wonderful voice. It, it really worked out. Well, actually, the voice you heard is not the audio describer. The voice is the voice talent, the narrator, whatever you want to call him or her, who puts voice to words that the audio describer wrote. So that phrase audio describer has gotten confused. And that's why we've laid, leaned toward audio description specialist as uh, uh, the phrase that of the, the individuals will certify as, as writers of audio description. So just with that, uh, I'll, I'll move on and, and note that it's been my pleasure and honor to be a part of this uh, subject matter expert committee and part of audio description for 42 years. I was part of the, the world's first audio description service and in Washington, D.C., and it began in performing arts uh, and it began in a certain model. Um, there was a lot of concern about would, would theaters uh, buy into this? Would they do it at all? We, we have to make it as simple, as affordable as possible. So the model that was developed was, uh, oh, the person who's describing uh, would go to maybe two performances in the run of a show uh, at a theater producing entity. Uh, the first one was Arena Stage in, in Washington, D.C. And then maybe they'd offer audio description at two performances based on notes that they took uh, when they saw the show. And so it was somewhat extemporaneous, basically. Well, I, I think I know <laughs> we have grown a great deal since then. Um, theater now, there's description in probably uh, 35 states that we know about in the U.S. and all around the world. Um, but we, we've grown We've grown, we've grown up. We're no longer in our infancy, more of an adolescence, I think. And that's important. Uh, we've become more professional. Uh, audio description, most audio description writers now are doing so for media. And uh, there's payment involved. And there's a whole uh, somewhat structure, if you will, for how people are paid for that. And, and describers in, in live theater, too, are paid oftentimes. Sometimes it's just an honorarium. Uh, but we're, we're building towards the possibility of uh, audio description being offered at every performance in different ways. And that would be so wonderful. Uh, we're, we're growing up, is the point. And we've grown um, since... Uh, I've, I went back into my archives and pulled some notes from two meetings that we held before the Audio Description Project even existed. In 1995, I co-coordinated with Kelsey Marshall at the Kennedy Center, a, an international conference about audio description. We had a session that was run basically by Janet Bailey of the Registry of Interpreters for the Deaf, because they had been already certifying interpreters. And she noted that Sign interpretation uh, is a, a social service, uh, and in interpret with interpreters, they had achieved professional status only after many years. And our profession, 
still going through the angst of becoming professional. And uh, we're getting there. We're definitely getting there. The ADA, the Americans with Disabilities Act, um, really only talk, doesn't talk about certification. It talks about sign interpreters, uh, for instance, as being qualified. Well, what does that mean exactly? We're trying to put uh, some meaning to that, basically, for audio describers as audio description specialists, I should say, um, just as it has done for um, sign interpreters. And there may be ways to work with the sign interpreting field. Um, the development of description at ARENA was added, it was really the desire uh, of Margaret Van Steele and Chet Avery to add uses for the enhanced listening services that were originally purchased to serve audience members who have hearing loss. Um, we, we went on, this is in 1995, all of this being talked about. Karen Moynihan from the National Association of Schools of Art and Design, she, she brought up the differences between accreditation, licensure, and certification. Accreditation is more about ensuring a certain level of quality within a field, which certification does too, but it's, it's really about institutions like a, a college might get accredited by an overarching organization. Licensure is more of a, a, a legal uh, term of art by the state or by the federal government or by a local government. We're, we're looking at certification. Um, perhaps a kind of like uh, she mentioned it, it maybe it's like a CPR certification you know um, you want to have somebody who's who's doing this important activity taking a prescribed course or passing a test developed by others in the field so and then let's skip uh, just another minute or two to to look at the conference that we held in 2002 um, this uh, conference also at the Kennedy Center um, Ann Hornsby from the Royal National Institute of the Blind actually she doesn't work at RNIB she's a, a an amazing one of the first describers in the UK she talked about the development of a certification process by the audio description association there uh, with a test and with uh, courses that sort of thing it it doesn't really um, it hasn't gotten to the professional level uh, as Kathy oftentimes says uh, ACV REP wants to have something that is legally defensible and is is recognized as a professional system hasn't it grown that way uh, up in the UK quite so much it's fairly informal but we're hoping to take it to the next step uh, by developing uh, standards of practice scope of practice body of knowledge, and we'll be talking about those areas uh, as our session today goes on. Thank you, Joel, for that overview on the history, because I think it's important to understand where audio description has evolved from to, to better understand why we're looking at certification and how we hope that will move the field of audio description forward. So I'd like to turn to... Um, Vice Chair of the Subject Matter Expert Committee for the Certification Process with ACVREP, and that is Martin Wild. He served um, during the first couple years of our work. Um, I believe actually Martin served as the subcommittee chair of the Scope of Practice Committee. Joel actually was co-chair of the Body of Knowledge Committee. So I thought it would be good 
since we have spent a lot of time developing both of these, that each of them have an opportunity to kind of give an overview of of the the portion of the process they've been involved in to help take us up to where we currently are going to be and talk about, um, you know, the present, moving into the future, and then have time for Q&A. So, Martin, thank you. Thank you, Kim. And thanks, Joel and Kathy, for being part of the committee for Lo, these many years, it's been uh, coming up on four years now. But, uh, you know, I, I don't think anybody at the time that we started this process thought that it would take so long. Uh, we, we, we thought maybe two, maybe three years. But uh, as we got into it, certainly the complexities of audio description and the different fields and manners in which it was applied and practiced just ballooned and grew. And, and uh we had to incorporate all that information and, and, and scope in our practice definitions as well as our body of knowledge. So as Kim uh, alluded to, we started out really just, you know, uh, with a task to have two subcommittees sort of create the, the two major sections of what will be the certification document. That is the body of knowledge, which is a, essentially an inventory of all the places and, and, and uh, uh, areas in which uh, an audio describer will will practice and what they need to know to accomplish that practice. And then in the scope of practice document, which I co-chaired, we are uh, tasked with uh, making sure that, that the, the different areas of those practices are a little bit more well-defined and a little bit uh, uh, more, more, more clear to, to uh, an audience and those who desire to become audio description specialists. There are two other components, mainly for the certification that we will also be working on, and that is a code of ethics for uh, audio, describe, audio description specialists, as well as uh, an eligibility criteria for those folks who wish to take the eventual exam. So uh, we are working on all four of those, those documents. Uh, we have uh, spent the first two plus years developing the body of knowledge and scope of practice. And at that point, we sent those comments and excuse me, those documents off to our audio description advisory committee, which is a, as Kathy uh, alluded to, um, is a group of, of audio description specialists uh, who were not able to commit the kind of time it would take to be part of the subject matter expert committee. But they are still, you know, uh, revered and, and, and known and uh, professionals in the industry. So we uh, asked for their feedback and took their comments to heart when they came back and realized that we needed to open up our discussions to a larger group. Now, we do have several members of the committee who are blind or have low vision, and we value that their, their contributions and input uh, 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 equal as not if more <laughs> than and, uh, the sighted individuals on, on the committee because who is it that we serve in, 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 in the long run. But... Um, we realized that there was, uh, the, the audio description is such a dynamic field that we wanted to be sure that we were incorporating uh, as many people into the definition of an audio description specialist as we could. So we uh, endeavored over the su this uh, summer of 2022 to gather some feedback to both from the audio description advisory committee and some informal comments from the community. But then we hosted uh, a forum in October of 2022 to uh, solicit and solicited comments from the from audio description specialist practitioners uh, in the field, uh, primarily who might be blind or have low vision and, choose, and would like to be audio description writers. 
And so that was a, a really wonderful conversation and brought up many uh, issues about inclusivity, inclusivity and diversity that uh, we needed to talk about and we needed to really uh, explore and examine. And we had many folks uh, across the spectrum talk to us and, and give us their input. And we have spent the last, well, well, since October, uh, so the last six months approximately, uh, really honing our two initial documents, the body of knowledge and the scope of practice, to incorporate and refine and, and make those, those specifications as, as uh, inclusive as possible to anyone who might be desiring to be an audio description specialist. And so that's what we've been working on um, in the last six months. Uh, I, I'd like to make some, a couple of comments, though, about, about roles. I mean, we, we've talked about audio describers, people who write audio description, but there are also those folks uh, who may only want to practice in a particular area. We want to insert, make sure that they are incorporated and, and supported in the specification for whether you're doing media or live or theater or, or museum or art audio description. I mean, the field is just so incredibly broad. This is one of the reasons it's taken so long for us to, to get the certification documents out. But uh, with those comments from the field and from the audio description advisory committee, we are really honing in, in on a single certification for audio description specialists, developing that common vocabulary of terms that Joel was talking about. And to all intents and purposes, the main job is to make audio description specialists a legitimate career, because there are many people who take a training for an afternoon or for a day or three days, and those are invaluable. Those are parts of, of, of what's needed to become an audio description specialist. But you don't know everything at that point. We, we have this concept of an audio description specialist who is aware of all the different facets and, and, and disciplines and areas that audio description is practiced. They may not themselves practice in those areas, but it is important for any audio description specialist to be aware of all the different nuances of, of the practice of the field and be a, a practicing member of that field and, and make it a career. So one of the things that we hope arises out of this certification is that there are more educational programs that come online uh, that would teach people the ins and outs of audio description and what they would need to be able to pass, to take and, and pass this certification exam. And so uh, I, I think the certification then because serves twofold. It, it serves as a, as a document of, of, of what is an audio description specialist, but also what is it that you need to know to be an audio description specialist. And then we hope that that spurs a, a larger educational uh, movement within the country so that people can can come to the test and come to the field knowing that, that they, they could be uh, legitimized as far as, uh, you know, the, the practice of this. Because up until this point, there has not been an audio description certification. So pretty much anyone who felt they, you know, felt they could, could hang out a shingle and say, I'm an audio describer, I'm an audio description writer, I'm an audio description quality consultant. Those things have very specific meanings and very specific guidelines around what you should know to be to be called that. And that's what we're hoping to define in this. So we're finalizing uh, the, the, the documents, taking into account all the inclusivity and diversity and aspects of the different members of our community that we would like to take, uh, to include in this. And uh, we hope to have the documents ready for public comment in early 2024. We need to get the 
documents certified, excuse me, uh, approved by the committee itself, and then they will need to be approved by the board of the ACBREP. But there will be a comment period, we hope, in uh, early 2024, and we're really looking forward to hearing from you all about that. Thank you, Martin. Joel, I know you were involved with the um, development of the body of knowledge, and we've got um, other elements that we've been working on as part of the subject matter expert committee, including um, references to a, a glossary of terms, references, um, building the stage for having um, a complete package for presentation to the board. So I wonder if you'd talk a little bit about your role with the body of knowledge and the SME and um, and those other components. Sure, sure. Um, indeed, this has come up already, the, the whole idea of definitions and, and that glossary um, that we'll have. Everything that will be on the exam will be, uh, we has to refer back to something in resources that we make available or guide people to. We think that's really important. Specifically with regard to body of knowledge, uh, we've come up with seven areas that um, areas that we feel someone who's going to be called a CAUTIS, a certified audio description specialist, must have some awareness of. Generally speaking, whether they're doing theater, whether they're doing media, whether they're doing museums, live events, what have you. Um, and I think this is going to be important for the folks that hire audio description specialists, uh, be they private entities like a, a descriptive video works or deluxe or uh, for media or theaters that are hiring describers or the government. The government is very eager to have something to hang their hat on. This person is a certified audio describer. Okay, there, there you go. That They've got a background. That background is uh, that body of knowledge involves seven areas, which I'll, I'll enumerate for you. First and foremost, as far as I'm concerned, people who use audio description, knowing the field. Uh, I, I tell you, I'll be honest, I think all too many audio description specialists, writers in media especially, uh, have never met someone who's blind. And, and that's not optimal. I think a caudus must know and understand the degrees of legal blindness or, or low vision. What does it mean to be congenitally blind? Uh, what is uh, their field of perception? What's the impact on, on other audiences uh, that use audio description? Because it's not just people who are blind. It can be people who are, that uh, could be the general public. It could be companions. It could be uh, individuals who are deaf blind, people with multiple disabilities, um, how to interact with people who use audio description. What are the assistive technologies that people who are blind use? Uh, that's All of that is so important. The next four elements of the body of knowledge are based on fundamentals of audio description that I use when I train audio describers. I developed these um, uh, some time ago. Um, and first is observation. An audio description specialist, someone writing description must know and understand the components of active seeing, 
really not just not just letting the visual wash over you, really getting out there and looking and noticing as much as possible. Uh, that includes uh, the, uh, the notion of objectivity, uh, separating fact from interpretation. Uh, sometimes it involves wayfinding in a physical environment, developing a, an audio-described tour for a, a museum or for even an outdoor trail, something like that. The third element is identifying key visual elements. So what that means is you, you spend a lot of time observing and then you get rid of most of it. Audio description is about sometimes about what not to describe. So a cautist must know and understand how to assess, prioritize the visual information in the, in the context of what is being described. And that means plot and action or uh, text, perhaps, uh, sometimes extended audio description, um, when to not describe at all, uh, those kinds of things. Let the, the music or the soundtrack, the sound elements come, come out. The, the, the fourth element, the third fundamental, is language skills. That's where we spend the most time writing the audio description or uh, in the case of performing arts if it's not a whole written script it's it's developing the words the language that you're going to be using uh, knowing about similes knowing about how adjectives are used perhaps adverbs active versus passive voice um, all of those kinds of things about language uh, how to align language choices with the current best practices regarding disability diversity inclusion age gender all of those kinds of things being succinct uh, knowing uh, that uh, sometimes less is more. I think often less is more. Uh, I, and that takes time. I oftentimes quote Blaise Pascal, who said, after writing a long letter to a friend, I've only made this letter longer because I've not had the time to make it shorter. Short, shorter, succinct. Uh, that takes time. The fifth uh, element is vocal skills. Part of, uh, what, 99% of audio description is uh, voiced aloud, somewhat like poetry, perhaps. And whether you're voicing the description or not, uh, it's important for you to understand how pronunciation, enunciation, articulation uh, comes into play, how uh, the elements of oral interpretation come into play, how we make meaning with our voice. That's so important, whether you're voicing it or not. I, I happen to think the writing and the voicing, it, there's a synergy there. Uh, and, and it's best when the, the two elements are, are done in conjunction with each other or understand each other. The sixth element is audio description production. There's a whole technical end to audio description production, especially in media, but in performing arts as well. Um, I think knowing the, the standard elements of an audio description script, um, how to format a script, how to recognize and use time code indicators, uh, all the kinds of uh, different techniques used in performing arts versus media versus television versus film, one-off events, live events, educational situations, or, or even, uh, and of course, museums, as has, has been mentioned as well. Uh, knowing that whole process, that whole environment, who are the administrators that you work with uh, to, um, to create description and work in an environment. And then the, the final uh, <laughs> bit of uh, the body of knowledge, section of body of knowledge, is indeed the audio description environment. And what we mean there is we, we think the 
certified audio description specialist will know, have a familiarity with the history of the profession, beginning back in 1975, actually, when the first written document uh, appeared that that chronicled what this might be. The first service was in 1981. And then globally, it's expanded now to some 70 countries, having an awareness of that, having an awareness of the theoretical underpinnings of audio description, uh, the, the regulations and laws and best practice guides here in the US Globally, there are at least half a dozen other best practice documents about audio description, uh, how cultural sensitivities affect uh, the creation and delivery of audio description, and, and the awareness of how the principal service organizations that deal with folks who are blind and related entities, how they interact and support define the practice of audio description. And of course, the American Council of the Blind has been the real leader in supporting audio description going back practically to its development back into the 80s. So that's the, the a thumbnail sketch of the seven, seven sections of the body of knowledge. Excellent, Joel. Thank you so much for that. And um, there are so many elements. I, I'm really happy that you referenced government as a possible, um, you know, player or partner in certification of audio description specialists because with the um, you know implementation, further implementation of Section 508 of the Rehabilitation Act, there is a requirement for, of course, um, accessible content for captioning of any video content. But there's also a requirement for audio description of government media on websites um, and and media that is produced by government agencies. So the audio description project does have a very active Section 508 subcommittee that is working with government entities. And the, those agencies have been saying, what about a certification? How do we know we're going to hire a qualified description professional? Um, do we just take people's word for it? How can you help us? So this is we're looking forward to having this process completed because government has really been asking for some way to get a criteria in place so that they can look to hire professionals to describe more video content produced by federal agencies. So, Jim, if I may uh, add a few more things here. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the thing that struck me as, we, as the committee has gone through their work is just the, the vast number of areas of practice that audio description is applied. Um, the scope of practice document lists those, but just you know, following Joel's lead a little bit here, you know, some of the things from the scope of practice document is, you know, a, a CAUDIS, our certified audio description specialist, you know, they create audio description across a wide range of visual experience, and that is live performance, including theater, operas, and dance. There are works of art, including painting, sculpture, and photography. There are installations and exhibits, including museums and galleries. There's pre-recorded or live media, film theatrical releases, and movie trailers. There are outdoor attractions. I've, I've described over 20 different national parks and hundreds of hours of television and movies. There's internet-based uh, content, especially now with web-based imagery and videos, as well as online courses. Education is a tremendously huge part of where audio description is being applied and required by a number of school districts and institutions across the country. Um, 
graphic novels, picture books, uh, social media, area descriptions where you have uh, layout, orientation, visual inventories of public or educational facilities, indoor and outdoor spaces. The list is seemingly endless, but uh, we, we've got to make sure that uh, the, the people who are in this or are choosing to be certified uh, know about all the different areas that audio description is applied, all the different skills that they need, and all the different places that it can can work. Now, as a certified audio description specialist, a person will not have to practice in all of those areas, but the knowledge of, of the different areas it's applied, of the audiences that they serve, of the different places that, it, that, that they can work in has to be there. Because otherwise, they're just you know they're 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 too narrowly focused for 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 a profession, and that's what we really try to make this be. Uh, our, oh, yeah, okay. go ahead, Joel. No, I was just going to add on not only the genres in which we describe, but the people we serve. You right. know, it 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 create was created by a blind woman um, and a blind man. Really, uh, it's it's for and by people who are blind, but not just the blind community. There are folks uh, on the autism spectrum, and it's been shown to be extremely helpful uh, in those cases. People with ADHD, people okay. learning a new language, exactly. We all know captioning helps you learn English. Well, the same thing, you build literacy by hearing uh, comparisons and new vocabulary and similes and such when you listen to description. Um, and then beyond that, um, you know, sighted folks, sighted folks, you know, who see, but they don't observe. You know, sometimes if they're listening to the description, they, I, I did notice that. You know, and I oftentimes say it's great for folks who are in the kitchen making a sandwich while the TV's on in the living room. You don't miss a beat. Uh, and and hopefully at some point, the legalities will be worked out and we'll have audio films, which are the original track of a of a movie with audio description, just an audio file that society people could use when they're on a long drive uh, or at the gym or whatever. So that's coming too. I think having that'll help increase awareness of audio description across the board uh, with the general public. Now, one of the other things that, that, that totally struck me as we were going through this certification process and developing these documents is all the different people that certified audio, that audio description specialists work with. I mean, it's sometimes it's, it's the audio description specialist role to help inform and bridge that gap of knowledge between, say, a producer or, uh, you know, an organization that wants to provide audio description and what it takes to make that happen. So as, as a professional audio description specialist, you know, you, you work with a number of different people. You work with uh, accessibility specialists at times. You work with architects or exhibitor tour designers. You work with website developers or app designers or game developers. Audio description in gaming is a huge field that is just coming online now. People are describing um, audio, audio describing trailers for movies and, and games, but to actually have that enter into the realm of how do we actually provide, you know, uh, concurrent audio description in, a, in, a, in an interactive game. Uh, these are the kinds of things and, and places that audio description is being applied that, that we really need to, to have a description specialist be part of that community uh, across theater personnel, across museum staff, across production company personnel. And all of those things go into becoming a specialist. So we're really trying to be as comprehensive as possible here. 
Again, it's a, from a standpoint of you need to know of these things. You may choose only to practice in one or two areas, and that's fine. But you've got, as a specialist, as professional in the industry, really need to have that, 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 that broad knowledge base and that broad perspective of what it is you're doing and why. Thank you, both of you, for those added comments. I think those were really spot on as far as what we're trying to identify and what we're trying to do. Before we move to taking some questions and having additional dialogue, I just wanted to sort of wrap up with the the issues around, um, I think Kathy first mentioned accessibility to the certification process. And that um, that has has been an area where we've really um, given considerable thought to how can we make this process and the testing environment um, accessible to anyone who wants to take the test and has the skill sets and qualifies, meets the criteria established. So primarily, I'm talking about people working in the field who are blind or have low vision. And, you know, some people might say, well, well, of course, to do a certification, you must give the people that are wanting certification, you must show them a video and ask them to describe it. Well, that might be your first stab at how you might evaluate someone's skill, but there's something fundamentally wrong with that process because it it does not allow someone who's blind or has low vision um, the ability to, to, to respond in a test environment to that, that line of question. So, so we spent quite a significant amount of time identifying what the visual elements are and what kind of a process we could use that would allow for an individual to independently take the certification if they meet all the criteria, someone who's using assistive technology, needs to be able to answer the same questions. So most of the time, a certification examination is going to have multiple choice questions. So we've we've spent and given a lot of thought to the process of creating questions that are not um, biased towards someone who has sight um, while still recognizing the fact that a blind or low vision writer of description must identify the key visual elements. And we understand that that once they know those key visual elements, they can write description that will work for that particular show um, and, and create the description necessary for it. But they, as a, as a practitioner, must have strategies and techniques in place for their way of acquiring the information. So most likely, um, not exclusively, but most likely they will use um, a, a partner, a, col- a collaborator with them who will, um, who they can then ask questions about um, what do you see? It goes back to that. You have to identify what are the key visual elements to be able to write about them. And we've recognized that that um, blind, low vision writers of description have strategies and techniques they use to establish and facilitate creating their description and identifying their key visual elements that are essential 
for someone without vision who is listening to the description to understand what is happening. So that's an important part of the inclusion of people who are blind and low vision in this area of accessibility, which is something I think is very important. Um, who knows more about how important this really is for our community than people who are blind or low vision working in the in the field. So I think we've done a significant amount of work to ensure that this process will be inclusive and will make it possible for people who are blind or have low vision to gain certification as an audio description specialist. Now, as we talked about previously, there are several different kinds of jobs within that broad title. Um, many people who are blind or have low vision are doing quality control specialist work for audio description companies throughout the country which I think is great. They're reviewing scripts, they're making recommendations to tighten up language, something doesn't make sense. They're contributing to the creation of audio description. Um, an area that we do not include in our certification development are people who are audio engineers or, um, well, primarily auto, audio engineers. They have their own career and um, certification licensing or certificates they can acquire within the audio software engineering industry. So we're not trying to make a place for this necessarily for audio editors or audio engineers. They have a different path they're working on, but they're essential to the process of creating um, quality pre-recorded media. So, so there's a lot of effort and work that has gone on in the area to make sure that the accessibility will be part of the process and that there will be inclusion of people who are blind or low vision in this certification. So I wanted just to mention that. And um, any other comments from any of the panelists in general terms before we look to um, take some questions from the audience? I had one thought, and that is, uh, in addition to the, the, the certification is not going to be covering the engineering and mixing of audio description soundtracks, the certification is also not to be applied to someone who solely voices audio description content. So that is a, a, a vocal narration is a huge element of, of the, the, the audio description experience, but we are certifying people who can write and evaluate and understand the history and context of audio description uh, as specialists, but not just folks who are, are voice artists. They may choose to be uh, certified, and that would be wonderful, but the certification uh, is, is not for someone who solely voices audio description. Thank you, Martin. That's a very important designation, and I... Uh, astonished, astonished that I forgot to mention it specifically, but it is important because I think, as Joel said, there there is a lot of um, kind of conflating of audio describer, meaning you know the writer, the and the voicer in in most of our minds. Well, we will use that term when we hear a great describer do a, do a show and we'll say, oh, that voice of that audio describer was fantastic. 
and we, and we, you know, I do it sometimes and I talk to people all the time who do it, um, which is why the development and establishment of the key roles within the audio description specialist is so important because none of this is meant to minimize any of these players in the equation. They're all essential to provision of great audio description, but audio description specialists will be writing description, editing description. They, they then may turn around and voice description but it's, it is primarily a field where we're talking about the crafting of audio description um, and then also incorporating um, and including people who do quality control work on the scripts. So um, all great points, and I'm hoping that we're going to have some great dialogue with um, our audience today. Michael Byington. Well, thank you. A few years ago, uh, thanks to Joel Snyder, my wife and I had the honor, the honor, and it was a very high honor as far as I'm concerned, to uh, be tapped as reviewers for an audio description uh, uh, of uh, a uh, museum that was a part of a uh, federal park, one of the government uh, projects within an audio description that you were talking about. And that was a fascinating experience but one of the things that really was amazing to me was in audio describing a museum, uh, how much orientation information had to be put into the audio description script. And as someone who also, by happenstance, is a certified orientation and mobility specialist, thank you for that certification, ACBREP. I, uh, I I was absolutely amazed at how good this describer was at doing the orientation. I don't think I made very many suggestions of, for changes, but I'm just curious how much the field of orientation and mobility goes into the training and uh, testing for certification and so on that will ultimately be a part of the certification process and what kind of orientation and mobility training is suggested for audio describers. And thank you again so much for all of the work that all of you are doing in this field. Which one of you, Martin, Joel? I just wanted to do a shout out for one of our colleagues on the subject matter expert committee, um, Wendy Sapp. Um, she is a certified O&M instructor and also working in the field of audio description for Bridge Multimedia and does often bring O&M into some of our discussions. So, Martin yeah. and Joel. Yeah, well, that, that's, uh, in, and indeed, Michael, uh, it was wonderful to work with you and your wife. It was a facility in Kansas, isn't that right? Where you guys are based, uh, pretty sure. Um, and... Uh, yeah, you know, it does, especially if you're doing an audio described tour that is like a string of pearls tour, getting somebody from point A to B, C, D, and then back to where you return your audio tour player. Uh, it does require a fair amount of uh, wayfinding 
uh, orienting, mobility, uh, kinds of, we, we haven't thought about that. And maybe that's something we should think about, Kim and Martin, um, uh, the, the degree to which familiarity with O&M techniques uh, is, is important. It is part of the body of knowledge. Absolutely. I think I mentioned it. And the scope. Yeah, that's right. Uh, whether or not uh, an audio describer that's doing uh, a described tour in a museum um, has to be an O&M specialist. I'm not sure that that's uh, where we would be going, but um, I'm glad, Kim, that you mentioned Wendy's work because that her, her perspective has added a great deal to our work on the SME. I yeah. didn't know Wendy was on that uh, subject matter expert committee, and that is excellent yeah. to hear. Yeah. But uh, no, I was not in any way, shape or form suggesting that a, a certified audio describer also needed to be a certified yeah, orientation right. and mobility person. I just was interested in the intermission between the two yeah. uh, categories. Thank you. It's a great, yeah. point. It's a great so, point. So what we've identified in the scope of practice is that uh, – a CAUDIS, a certified audio description specialist uh, who works within facilities or venues, must also be familiar with with the multiple aspects and facets of accessibility, including general safety, related wayfinding and navigational needs, and also to be you know familiar with a given facilities operations and practices and public policies. I mean, there are many things that go into to being a certified audio description specialist, and so we're not certifying you know, everything about this, but we do recognize that you may find yourself if you choose to be a practitioner of audio description within museums or, or facilities, or, 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 or this is something that, 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 that interests you, that you also must be familiar with how people are, you know, navigate and what kind of language is used and, and various related uh, wayfinding and navigational needs. So um, it, it's interesting to me, I happen to be somewhat of a, a polyglot when it comes to audio description. I work in many different areas. I work in media. I work in museums. I work in film and uh, television. I work in uh, 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 many different aspects of it. But many people will choose to to focus on one area. So they, they will need to have a familiarity with it. It may not come up in their practice of their daily lives. But if they're going to practice in that area, they do need to have that familiarity and to be to be certified. There will be questions on the exams about these kinds of things. And uh, and I just want to give Martin a shout out because he's he's far too modest in his talents. But one of them that you may not be aware of is that live description he is quite good at. And in fact, he was one of the two describers on the team that described the Biden inaugural. Um, day. It was hours long, wasn't it, Martin? Yeah, it, was, it was nine hours and several days. Yeah. <laughs> so, and that was all live. There was that was no all extemporaneous, which exactly. is another aspect of, of, of audio description. I, I, I love doing that for, for live events. Uh, you know, you get a run of show, but all bets are off and you've got to, you know, make, make the, 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 the magic happen. And, and uh, there are many people who, who, who do that, and, and, and that's what they choose to, to, to specialize in. And, and uh, thank you, Kim, for that shout-out. I, I really appreciated doing mm -hmm. that. All right. Monica, do we have any other hands? Yes, we have Pat. Thank you very much. Hey, I just want to congratulate this group and everyone who's working on the certification process. Uh, my name is Pat Sheehan, and I'm working on the government side. So I appreciate that shout-out. The government is so desperately in need of qualified 
uh, audio describers that they can put in their contracts and have a labor, labor category that that can, that can be assigned to those contracts so that we know that we're getting someone who is certified uh, to do this work. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we got a surprise in the spring where the Office of Management and Budget and the Access Board and GSA asked the federal agencies what were the, you know, as part of a survey that we have to put out and will be judged on by the end of the year. Um, one of the questions had to do with what were your top five videos and what are you doing to meet the mandates in Section 508 uh-huh. for closed captioning and audio description. And I'm just hearing all the uh, all the agencies saying audio what? Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is just fabulous. The timing on this couldn't be more perfect. Uh, the agencies I know right now are scrambling find whatever talent they can to, to cover a lot of areas. So um, I appreciate the diligence that, that you are putting together as far as glossary of terms and uh, the body of knowledge, the, the seven categories and that sort of thing. This couldn't come at a better time, particularly with the emphasis that we have seen <clears throat> with all the federal agencies who need to meet this criteria. One of the other things that I learned recently is that It is very easy for the agencies to go in using Google Analytics to find out what their top five, top uh, ten watched videos are going to be. So it's not like they don't even have that data. And if they can get that data, then also um, I'm sure that uh, other people can get that data. So they'll be tracked and will be reported on and we will be graded and we will be judged from the federal agency standpoint at the end of the year. So I hope you guys are taking vitamins and eating your Wheaties <laughs> and all that good stuff, because uh, I appreciate everybody who has been working on this certification piece. I know I've asked for progress and this is a, a very excellent um, program you're putting on today, answering a lot of my questions. So thank you so much. Pat, it's so great having you uh, part of this discussion. Uh, Pat is the five-way coordinator for the Veterans Administration, just a very small federal agency, right, Pat? Uh, My goodness, you produce all manner of video. Um, The National Park Service has been uh, just uh, really um, enormously responsive to the 508 requirements, Um, not just videos, but uh, tours of their visitor centers and that sort of thing. And and outdoor venues, too. Outdoor venues, absolutely, where navigation is is particularly critical. Um, But it's it's great. What Pat is doing on the 508 committee um, is just expanding awareness throughout the federal government, and that means a lot more work for audio description specialists and um, the professionalism in the field. And eventually more accessibility for the end user, um, people who are blind or have low vision to have more opportunities and access to all of this information. So that's great. All right, so um, I'll turn back to the panel and please feel free to interrupt if somebody pops up with a question while we sort of Take um, take a couple minutes to sort of re re um, review the um, the next steps. And um, Kathy can chime in here too. She gave us a little bit of a sneak peek at them um, in her opening um, description of the certification process. So we are 
working on finalizing the documents we've talked to you about, the criteria, the um, code of ethics, the body of knowledge, the scope of practice, um, those documents have to be um, finalized from our perspective. They will be going next to the ACVREP Board of Directors for their review and, and approval um, to open up and put those documents out into a public comment period, which we truly are hoping might be early 2024. And Kathy mentioned it's a 60-day comment period. Um, those comments will come back. They'll be reviewed by the board of ACVREP. Um, I'm not sure if that's after we review them or before, but we as the subject matter expert committee will also see the comments so that we can go back to the documents and discuss and determine um, how best to incorporate um, con comments we've received, um, how to make things clearer, um, elaborate in areas where we may have missed something and someone's brought that to our attention. So this document will be very reflective of the field and what is needed out there for um, a, a true certification. Um, so that timeline would probably take us into, I would take a stab at maybe mid-2024 when that process is fi getting finished. And Kathy, somewhere in that process, we begin as the SME to craft a lot of questions to be validated and reviewed by experts in the field. Can you talk a little bit about that phase coming down the line and where that fits in? Yes, once the certification criteria is finalized, meaning the public comments have been reviewed by the SME, by the board of directors, uh, the board of directors agrees with the final uh, recommendation of the SME and approves the criteria, then the exam development starts. It's a very scientific process. ACVREP works with outside psychometricians uh, in order to develop the exam. And the reason that it's important that the certification criteria be finalized is because the first step in developing the exam is to take the body of knowledge and the subject matter expert committee looks at each element of the body of knowledge and determines if there is an objective uh, that should be measured on the exam for that particular area of the body of knowledge. Some are not included, most are. Once the SME develops all of those objectives that they want to measure on the exam relative to different aspects of the body of knowledge, then the outside psychometricians develop what is called a job task analysis survey that takes these objectives and sends them as widely out into the field. And this is for practitioners in audio description and asks the practitioners in audio description to look at each of these objectives and assess how often they um, run into this objective in their current practice, uh, how important they think it is in their current practice. Um, and 
what elements of practice they're involved in, et cetera, to create this dynamic. It then goes into what I affectionately refer to as the psychometrician black box. And what comes out are the number of questions for each objective that the uh, subject matter expert committee has to write. And normally, uh, there needs to be at least a 50% increase in the number of questions. So, for example, if the final exam is going to be 120 questions, the SME will have to write 180 questions. Each question and answer has to be cited to a resource that would be available to anyone wanting to take the exam so that they can study for the exam. Once all of those questions are written, there is a process of beta testing where anyone who meets the eligibility criteria for certification can take the beta exam. Once we have, and again, this may be a bit of a challenge in the field, but generally speaking, we want 100 beta test takers probably the very minimum that would result in a valid and legally defensible exam is maybe 80. Um, once that number of practitioners have taken the beta exam, then the exams are, the results of the exams are evaluated. The SME comes back in and looks at all the questions that perform in a range of excessive, uh, acceptability. That ranges anywhere from uh, only, say, 30 or 35 percent got it correct to too many, more than 80 percent or 85 percent got it correct. So either questions are too hard or they're too easy. We're looking for that sweet spot in the middle and to make sure that there are sufficient questions. And in the case of the example, 120 questions that can be used. Then once again, the SME goes in and looks at every individual question, how it performed, and determine how easy or how difficult they think that question is for a qualified describer taking the exam. Then once that takes place, it goes back into the psychometrician's black box, a different black box, and what comes out is called a modified Angoff analysis which in looking at the performance of the questions, how difficult or how easy they were rated by the SME, here is what the passing score should be on the exam. Um, there usually is a little range of movement that that score can be moved up or down, maybe one or two. The SME evaluates what it should be and makes a recommendation to the board of directors of what the passing rate should be on the exam. Okay, I'll just say very quickly, it is the process of best practices certification, not to identify what that pass rate is. So no matter how many times you ask, no one on the SME will tell you what the pass rate is. Well, thank you, Kathy. I'm not sure if I'm pleased to hear all that work we still have to do to verify. But... Uh, really? <laughs> yeah, so, so three months. Hmm. Yeah. yeah, right. Exactly. Sure. We nah. still have a bit of work ahead of us. So, you know, don't be getting out your checkbook to sign up to take this test real soon because <laughs> yeah. uh, you probably have a little more time to save some money, but it will be a 
fee-for-service when it's done a couple of years, hopefully down the road. But as yeah. you can see, the, the certification process is very meticulous, methodical, and is a process. So best I to get it to- right, get it right. <laughs> Uh, and not rush into something and exactly have it not and when you do something. it right yeah. and yeah. we are making such a conscious effort to do it right so i especially want to thank you give my thank yous to martin and joel for being here today but also for being active parts of the subject matter expert committee i could not do this work without martin who's such a key leader every meeting helping to scribe and read and joel likewise um, for what you do and what you bring to the process. And Kathy keeps us all in line. Um, we are working hard for the field of audio description. And I hope this presentation helps folks to recognize where we are and where we're going and what this can mean for the field of audio description in the future. So thank you. And I want to recognize Monica to um, provide the closing SMSEU code for today. Yes, Kim, the closing CEU code is 51845. Again, the closing CEU code is 51845. Thank you, Monica, for your help today as well. And thank you to everyone who attended. Um, If you have questions, you can certainly reach out to me at Kim dot charleston at perkins.org and c-h-a-r-l-s-o-n as the chair of the subject matter expert committee i want to thank everyone and have a great day